0: So that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome, Tim. How are you today?
1: Thank you for having me. I'm wonderful.
0: And I must congratulate you. Your book has just hit the bookstores today. How does that feel?
1: It feels great. I'm really excited for people to read it. Okay, so
0: let's get straight into it, right? You are the guy, you are the person, you are the point person for what I think is one of the hottest topics in the world today, writing for the Wall Street Journal. You cover technology, Elon Musk, and Tesla. So, yeah. what do you want the world to know about Tesla?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I started writing this book about three years ago in 2018, and I thought it was going to be a story about a dramatic collapse of a very public uh, company that was yes. Tesla and Elon Musk. It looked like they were heading towards bankruptcy. And as you dug in, as I dug in writing the book, they were close to bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, but really, what it turned out to be was a remarkable corporate turnaround, probably one of the most dramatic corporate turnarounds of a generation. And the book really kind of explores how that happened. You know, I think it's, for a lot of people, I think it's surprising. Um, in, in some ways, the idea of Tesla was maybe something kind of hazy in their mind, yes. and all of a sudden explodes into the ecosystem in 2018. It's like this thing that was kind of imploding. And now it's the world's most valuable automaker. And it didn't just happen in that kind of two-year period. Yeah. Uh, The story of Tesla goes back to 2003. And what I'm able to do in the book is really talk about and show how the strategy for the company played out, how many of the mistakes were made and why. And oftentimes, they were mistakes that you can understand why they were made, because they were facing really hard decisions. And sometimes there's just bad decision. There's a there's a bad decision, and there's another bad decision. You just have to make one. And you see that. And so that, to me, was just to, an exciting opportunity. You know, that's why I'm so excited to have this book out. I think other people are going to see that that excitement and really have a new appreciation for what occurred. You know, something you said
0: is uh, very true. We've all heard of Tesla, but it sort of really broke into the stratosphere in the last two years. And I've seen other books that have been written about Musk and Tesla, but I've never actually read them. Your book has come out today. I've told my assistant to get me a copy of it and it'll be the first book about Tesla that I will read because it's just done so much in the space of two years. Now, there's a lot of meaty things we can talk about, but let's get to what I think is the big question people would ask. What did Tesla do that led to that turnaround in 2018.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a complicated. There's not one answer. Sure, the company was founded in 2003 on a rather Im- improbable idea that yes. they could make an electric car that was so appealing that would appeal to just to normal buyers that it it wouldn't have to be a compromise. And I don't know if you recall, but in 2000, late 90s. There was attempts to make electric cars. General mm-hmm. Motors, it, it, one of the world's largest automakers, had come out with the EV1. And I've ridden in it. it. It was like a kind of a somebody's imagination of what the future would be like. It was a two-seater. It had all sorts of buttons. It, it had a short range. It really was full of compromises. And the idea that Tesla had was, let's make something that uh, people are going to aspire to have. Um, sexy, fast, fun. And that's really the origin of the idea of Tesla. And I start there because it's important to understand that to, to talk about the turnaround in 2018. And that is Tesla and Elon Musk had come up with this idea for a mainstream electric car, a force, a four door sedan to compete against the the 3 series BMW 3 series they were going to call it yes. the model 3 and when they revealed that in 2016 still months and months ahead of starting production yeah the public response was really unheard of really unexpected for an electric vehicle yes people were lining up to put money down I have remember that. Yes. on the hope of getting it within years and that just doesn't happen in the auto industry and if it suggested that maybe Elon Musk and Tesla had been correct all of these years predicting that if you made a cool car, people wouldn't care that it was electric. They would just want to buy it. And this idea that maybe there was mainstream, there could be mainstream acceptance for Tesla, the Model 3, and the idea of electric cars. So 2018 happens. And one of the problems with being a new car company is that Tesla doesn't have generations of experience building a yes. car and so every time they come out with a new car they struggle with it and so they're struggling to bring it out and it's a huge struggle and then and in, in once they start getting it built then they have a hard time delivering it and so putting it in people's hands and so once they kind of work through that uh, in late 2018 they they start to show some possibility they just they show profit for a quarter yes. and they show two quarters of profit and people are starting to think well Elon Musk, he's figured it out. He's finally delivering and there's excitement. Well, then all of a sudden we get into 2019 and, you know, it's not working out the way that he'd promised. Uh, Sales are collapsing in the U.S. in part because the Model 3 never really delivered on that price point of going to be $35,000. It's so expensive. Uh, It was really more like a $50,000 car. So he's racing to, to, to slash the costs. Um, And and meanwhile, he knows that in Europe and in China, he's got early adopters, those early customers, with deep pockets who are willing to pay for that expensive version of the car. So he's just desperately racing to get those vehicles into those people's hands. And it takes time to put a car in a boat and send it to the other side of the world, Uh, which then gets to the second very important thing that why how Tesla turns around. Tesla needed to have global scale. And to get global scale, it needed to really be in China. So Elon Musk had begun the year promising that a factory in China would be open by the end of the year. And frankly, as the company is struggling to even deliver the Model 3 at the beginning of 2019, people just have kind of lost patience with Elon and his claims. And the stock has just fallen. And, And that is bad for Tesla for a lot of reasons, because the problem with starting a car company and the problem being a car company is it just takes so much cash and because the company had never been uh sustainably profitable it just doesn't have a lot of it didn't have a lot of cash and so he, elon musk was dependent upon needing to raise cash on almost a regular basis and if if the investor community lost faith then he was going to be in real trouble so 2019 was pretty bleak as well a lot of people don't appreciate how bleak it was mm-hmm. but what happened was the stars aligned for Tesla, and the Chinese government was very um, excited to have Tesla come in, helped with the factory, helped remove any kind of regulatory or uh, bureaucratic hurdles. And that factory went up in record time. And by the end of 2019, the company had two assembly plants, one in California, one in, in China, and was cranking out vehicles. And the market it was ecstatic. Here was what Elon Musk had long promised. He'd finally delivered. And it looked like Tesla was going to go to the moon. The stock started going up very dramatically, because it overtook uh, the global automakers yeah. to become the world's most valuable automaker. But then, I mean, just when you think Tesla has finally made it, <laughs> we all know what happens. You know, COVID-19 occurs, right? A global pandemic. This is a, pivotal period, a pivotal test to see if Tesla's a real car company. Passing this test, enabling to get its vehicles out into hands of customers and continuing to make a profit is really when things really change for Tesla. Because you see the rest of the global auto industry struggle to be operational during this period. Initially, uh, they pull back on production, they pull the sales fall, whereas Tesla... Goes full steam ahead. It's very controversial. He's got people working. The I remember that. On yes. it, and but he needs to get these cars into the customers' hands to generate the cash that's needed. And he posts. He just ekes out a, a profit uh, in one quarter and does it again. And the market just is even more excited. And what that does, and this is why this is very important. What it does is it allows Tesla to finally go to the market and very cheaply raise a mountain of cash. And so yes. without having to give up any as much control or diluting shares that much for, for Elon or for other major shareholders, he's able to raise this capital, of giving himself a war chest that in, any automaker would be envious of and, and allowing him to fuel these wild growth ambitions that he has for the company. So within a course of a couple of years, He's what Tesla becomes successful because he can finally execute on his vision. Now, he doesn't do it in the timeline that he originally yeah. planned, but he ekes it out and avoids bankruptcy and, and proves that it's possible. And he's being rewarded for that.
0: That's an amazing, I think, synopsis of what happened um, and also riveting the way you, you know, describe it. So we, we talk about Elon Musk a lot. right? Who are these key people that's helping him do all of
1: this? Yeah one of the surprising things when I was working on this book, and I I don't think has really been appreciated about Elon Musk is that he has a remarkable talent for finding uh, talented people Um, and not just talented people. You know, there are lots of smart people in the world, you know, not lots. I mean, there are smart people in the world and finding those real smart ones is always a challenge and and attracting them and, and whatnot, but he could find people, who not only were intelligent and had the abilities, but it could align with what his vision of the world would look like. Yes. And, you know, it didn't happen at the beginning. And the early days of Tesla, he had a struggle finding people that he felt like got what he wanted to do. Yes. And, but you start to see it when he's working on the Model S. The Model S is the large luxury sedan yeah. that Tesla came out with in 2012, that this was the vehicle that really was, Tesla making a statement. This is what Tesla was the vision of. It was supposed to be a $50,000 car, but it was more like a $120,000 car. But it was, in a lot of ways, uh, one of the best cars of a generation. And it showed people that electric car didn't have to be full of compromises, that it could be the best car that just happened to be an electric car. And that's really when things changed for the company. But getting to that point required finding some really smart people that could execute on that. So he recruited people from all over the world to do this. And this is a key thing. One of the key people for the company actually goes back to the early days, Mm -hmm. even before the company. His name was J.B. Straubel. This was a a gentleman At the time he was basically a kid. He just, he just graduated from Stanford. He had an early interest in batteries and chemistry and had as a hobbyist had uh, taken an old Porsche and uh, taken the engine out and replaced it with a motor and batteries and made it electric. Himself, And he would, it was almost kind of like the early days of personal computing with the homebrew club where people were making their own computers before Apple and others started doing it. This was kind of the ecosystem that young JB Strabo was involved in. And he was one of the early brains of how to, to take lithium ion battery cells and to make battery packs and how to power the vehicle. So he was the really one of the early technology guys in the company. And so he's there through the Roadster, which is their first car, the Model S, which we talked about, and then the Model 3, which really changed the world. Mm -hmm. And he was a key in fighting this common theme throughout the early days and up until recently, and still, you could argue, one of the biggest issues for them is batteries and how to Mm -hmm. get batteries, how to use batteries, how to deploy batteries, how to manage them, how to build them, how to scale them. This is a key part of Tesla's DNA part of Tesla's story and part of the reason why it has a, somewhat of an advantage when dealing in electric vehicles compared to traditional automakers, which have way more experience building cars and selling cars. So he was very key. And then the other executives, you would see a lot of turnover between vehicle programs. Oftentimes Elon would either burn out these people or he would get tired of them. And you know, you would, it was often, yeah. uh, often the case that there was a, a lot of uh, turnover.
0: So you mentioned one guy here, right? Yeah. But the way the media talks about Elon Musk, it's almost as if he's doing everything. And he's obviously not doing everything. So you give this example of one guy. Yep. In terms of Elon's management style, you talked about the turnaround in 2018. I get the sense from reading things that he was deeply involved as an operator, not just as an owner. I mean, is that a true sense of how he ran things during that turnaround?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so Elon, you know, runs... Is the top of two major companies, SpaceX and Tesla. Mm-hmm. You know, in a perfect day, in a perfect world, he would be spending maybe half his time at each and, you yeah. know, maybe a little bit of other time, a little, you know, a sliver of time on his other projects. You know, he's got the company that's doing tunnels and brain computer company, but his passion, uh, his first love, if you will, is the rocket company, SpaceX. Yes. And Tesla was more of a of kind of a passion. Some people would almost kind of describe the relationship as. SpaceX was his wife, and Tesla was his (laughs) mistress. And for a lot of years, in some ways, SpaceX was kind of boring yes. on the outside, right? It took a lot of years to get to the point where they are now, where they're in the very public face of space travel. You know, publicly, it was kind of a weird idea, and, yes. you know, not a lot to see. Whereas Tesla was full of drama and spicy and, yeah. and it was getting him a lot of public attention and he likes public attention. And you it was also something that very tangible, they were putting cars on the road and people like a story about cars. So yeah, Tesla is definitely occupies a lot of his time. And he would say and he said it to he says it in my book, and he says it recently, he doesn't want to be CEO, uh, he doesn't want yeah. to be the CEO, he would argue that there, it's the only option. Now, I would say that perhaps or definitely that he might not want to be CEO, but he definitely wants to have control over the company. Yeah, um, it's not somebody else's company, he runs it like it's his own company. And one of those challenges is that he has a hard time trusting people. Um, whereas at SpaceX, he has a senior leadership team that he he feels comfortable with. Um, he has burned through a lot of people at Tesla. So if you you become a president at Tesla, history would say you don't last in that job very long, either you burn out or, yes. or you realize it's time to go. It's just naturally been the case. And that's been a challenge for the company and continues to be a challenge going into the future. He doesn't have a deep bench of experienced executives. What he has are a bunch of managers who have grown up in the company and they know how to manage up to him.
0: That's interesting. So I want to switch gears a little bit. You're all fascinating. But I want to sort of tease through some of the insights you've developed in your time covering Tesla and the broader tech sector over such a long extended period why do you think the auto sector never saw Tesla coming? I mean, it's not like Elon Musk sits quietly. I mean, he's on Twitter all the time harassing people and poking them and prodding them. Why did he blindside the, the auto sector? Yeah,
1: you know, it's an interesting question. I spent almost a decade in Detroit uh, writing about the auto industry, yeah. wrote about Daimler Chrysler's breakup, General Motors yeah. bankruptcy, Mary Barra becoming the CEO of GM, the return of the U.S. auto industry after a Great Recession and these companies finding their footing again. And I, I frankly thought it was hard to imagine I would see anything as exciting again in that sector yes. and and move to San Francisco to write about the tech sector, because that's where, you know, to me, the, there was a lot of excitement going. Yeah. And very quickly, as I was in the ecosystem, started to realize that There was something going on in Silicon Valley about the auto industry. This would have been back in 2014. The efforts to develop autonomous cars were starting to gain some traction. The electrification of the automobile was still this kind of, you know, burgeoning idea in part because of the success of the Model S at that point. But one of the things that I, you know, always remember about being in Detroit is there would, you would be briefed by these companies and a lot of talk about complex machinery. You know, these aren't uh, toasters. But the idea of advanced technology at that point, oftentimes, would be conversations about eking out a fuel efficiency improvement of maybe a percentage. And really, it gets kind of to the innovator's dilemma. You know, if you, were, if you make your money selling SUVs and pickup trucks powered by gasoline engines, you, you probably aren't doing a lot of thinking about batteries and electric cars. It's just a little foreign to you. And it's not that mm-hmm. companies like General Motors hadn't thought about it. In fact, they had very smart people working on these ideas. General Motors had been talking about the idea of autonomous cars for years. They had been talking about electrification for years. But oftentimes and it's not just GM, but the industry was always kind of at this point of looking for maybe the perfect technology. You could look at the batteries on the market and say, "Well, this is a problem for X and Y and, you know, all these reasons, we need to develop something else or If they were going to come out with that kind of vehicle, it was going to be because anybody that was going to want an electric vehicle was because they were price conscious, because they wanted to save money on fuel. So then that creates all this pressure to make a cheap vehicle, which is full of compromises. The difference for Tesla, really, one of the big things for them was a different mindset than the traditional auto industry. And that mindset was, well, why can't an electric car be cool? And another one of those early decisions that was key was the, the, one of the co-founders, his name was Martin Eberhardt. Mm-hmm. He had come out of personal technology devices. He worked on a, uh, one of the original e-books um, back yes. in the day. And so he was familiar with uh, battery technology. And he thought it just made sense to him that lithium ion batteries would be the way to go. These, this technology had come out and made uh, camcorders popular. Or they were starting to be in laptops. And his bet was, if he could convince battery makers to sell to him, that eventually uh, Tesla would be probably one of the biggest buyers of of these batteries and have great scale, and that would drive the price down. And the second bet there was, these batteries are just coming off the shelf, essentially. It's already a proven technology. Why try to invent the perfect thing when this is there? Let's try to make that work. That was a kind of a second key kind of insight that he had. And so th- that's the early day. Well, one of the problems if they get into it and the auto industry kind of already knew this. This would be early 2004, five. You know, there was some concerns about the stability of lithium ion yeah. batteries. Uh, laptops were catching fire. There was some kind of recalls by Apple and other uh, personal technology companies. There was some concern that, you know, wait, wait a second, you're going to, strapped together several thousand (laughs) of these little batteries they're about fat finger-sized batteries you're going to string thousands of these things together to create a battery pack and then you're going to put it on the road that seems like a kind of would be like a bomb or something and Mm -hmm. as they started to look into it the tesla people well well sure enough they came to the realization that maybe one in a million of these things just naturally is going to thermal runaway Mm -hmm. potential and thermal runaway is a bad situation that means the battery starts to overheat and get to the point where it almost becomes like a firecracker and explodes. And and if you've got them all tied together, that's going to set them all off. And so this is the third really important part of Tesla's early days. They have to, to survive, to be able to put a car on the road, figure out technology to keep these batteries from becoming a bomb on wheels. And And it's make or break at that point. And they come up with this battery pack technology that really is the key piece of technology they had early on. The cells, they didn't own the cells. In fact, early on, they were having a hard time even getting cells. So they were taking these cells, making these packs and the pack technology to keep this thermal runaway from happening was critical. And once they got that figured out they had to do it very quickly because they didn't have a lot of time or money. And once they figured that out, That's really one of the big game changers that allows them to get the Roadster under the road. They would struggle with production, but it really put them in the game.
0: I have a clarifying question here before we move on to something interesting you said. When they contracted with Lotus to build the Roadster, they, as in Tesla, developed the battery technology or did they get that from Lotus?
1: The original business plan for Tesla created by Martin Eberhardt made a lot of assumptions, yes. and many of them would be proven wrong, uh, if not naive. But it doesn't mean that he didn't have the right ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. It just meant that sometimes it's harder than it seems when you're just writing it down on paper. One of his assumptions, and it seemed like a good one, was that he could, just like cell phones are made today, Apple doesn't make its cell phones, Foxconn does, right? And yeah. so he thought he could find a contractor to, to do this. And Lotus was had space, they had a, a roadster of their own, they figured, Tesla's idea was they would just change the exterior and make it look, uh, quote, unquote, Tesla-like. Yeah. And they, they would save all this money. And it would just be so easy. The innards would be the, the Lotus vehicle, and the exterior would look like Tesla. And they would just put in the batteries. And so that was the relationship with Lotus. They were getting the cells from a battery supplier. They were coming up with their own motor and other drivetrain parts. They were doing that themselves. They had a contractor that was building them. And essentially, they was, was kind of the early idea of being an asset-like uh, company. It was They were going to have somebody else make it. They were going to market it. And then they were going to find another people to sell it for them. Well, as time went on, they realized they needed to build their car themselves. They needed to own that that space because it's so important to the vehicle working. And they also quickly realized that they weren't going to turn over that customer experience to a third party, like through a car dealership, they wanted to have company operated stores, so they could have that kind of relationship. So those are two big changes from the original business plan.
0: Yeah, and it seems to have been the right decision. But coming back to what you said earlier, you know, having covered the auto sector in Detroit, and then Mm -hmm. moving to San Francisco, now you made a very telling comment, you said that covering the tech sector in in San Francisco, you noticed that something was percolating with cars. I mean, you didn't know what it was going to be, but you knew something exciting was happening.
1: I remember the moment it happened. Yeah, tell yeah. us about the, yeah, the story. I lived in San Francisco, and I would commute down to Silicon Valley, down to Palo Alto on the, the commuter train. Yeah, The morning, the train's packed going south, and in, yes. the, in the evening, it's packed going north in, into the city. And I was beginning to notice people on their company computers as they're typing away, or whatever they had, they had car supplier email accounts. And I, you oh. know, I can't read, I wasn't reading their emails. I oh. could just see, you know, Delphi here and, and whatever there. And I, I started thinking, I said, well, why, what are they all doing down here? Right. And when they all have labs and they're all, I knew they had labs and I'd been to them, but you know, I was starting to know us a lot more people in the Valley that had Detroit connections to the, the industry. And it made me start wondering, this is kind of interesting.
0: It's interesting that you have that um, anecdote story because it's the same thing for me. The, the reason I knew something different was going on in Silicon Valley is I also took, I think it's called BART when you take that train. I yep. forget what it's called, BART, right?
1: Well, so the BART's the city. Yeah, the C- Caltrain is between the, the valley and the city. But, yeah, uh, so yeah, I used Bart to take Bart, the BART is the subway, right.
0: Yep. And I, I was very shocked when these guys are working long hours, getting on there late at night, and they open their laptops and they're doing work. <laughs> it really surprised me because I haven't seen that anywhere else in the world. But here's my question to you. If you noticed this, surely other people were noticing this. Why didn't the auto sector respond? I mean, have you spoken to people in the auto sector since then to understand why they were so hesitant?
1: General Motors, Ford, Toyota... Mercedes-Benz, they knew Tesla was going, what Tesla's up to. In fact, Mercedes and Toyota were early investors. General Motors had lots of interactions with Tesla in the early days. They knew this was happening. But there seemed to be a belief that there was, it wasn't likely that Tesla was going to be that successful, right? Even early days, there was disagreement with inside Tesla about what the company was going to become. You know, we talked about this battery pack technology. And there was a push to commercialize that. Why not become a supplier to automakers mm, that were okay. being feeling pressure to become electric, to make electric cars? There was that. And in fact, early on, that's one of the ways that Tesla avoids uh, early bankruptcy is that they eke out a deal with uh, Daimler to provide battery pack technology for one of the electric smart cars early on. And so, you know, there was that idea, but Elon Musk's vision was an electric car company. And you know, one of his former executives like, has this comment that's kind of always stayed in my mind that he was imagining Tesla becoming General Motors. You know, he was thinking big where everybody else maybe was just trying to think till tomorrow. And so he had that kind of vision there. So it gets to this idea that uh, to, you know, 2005, the idea of Tesla becoming what it dreamed of being a, a, an electric car company that makes this technology mainstream was rather improbable. And there's so many reasons why they were never going to have enough cash, production problems, blah blah blah. And why couldn't GM just start making an electric vehicle that would then put them out of business? That was kind of the thinking. And and some inside of GM thought that if they wanted to turn on the power to an electric vehicle. They could do it. And and Bob Lutz at GM he put his internal political might towards building the Volt. And the Chevy Volt really yeah. became. The General Motors vehicle became this poster child for why the U.S. government should keep that company from collapse uh, during the the Great Recession. And you remember the U.S. Yeah. government uh, bailed the, the company out through a, a government back to bankruptcy. And the Volt was essentially used as a propaganda piece, if you will, or a PR piece to to make the case that American auto industry can innovate and bring green technology to roadways
0: if you look at the history of silicon valley all the great tech companies started off with a big vision and then they struggled to execute it and at some point they weren't sure they could do it so they tried to sell themselves to someone i think google tried to sell itself to yahoo at some point netflix tried to sell itself so you know as you rightfully say now when we look back it's easy to see the success but during the journey it isn't very clear yeah. but switching gears here we spoke a lot about the challenges Elon Musk and Tesla and his team have faced. What are the challenges you expect them to face going forward?
1: Without a doubt, as we sit here today, with Tesla being the world's most valuable automaker, Mercedes, General Motors, Volkswagen, many others pledging billions of dollars in investment in EVs and racing to get those vehicles on the roadway. Elon Musk has won the day for the vision of what the car is going to be in the next few years, and that's electric. Now, it's not clear if all customers are going to want this, right? But regulators and government officials around the world, particularly in Europe and in China, are really driving with what they're doing, a conversion towards the electrification of the automobile. In part, they're able to do that because a company like Tesla has made it appealing. They have shown that an electric car doesn't have to be a golf cart. The challenge for Tesla in coming years is multiple. A- It's going to have greater competition. Now, for years, we have often talked about what's going to be the Tesla killer. What's the new vehicle coming out from GM or Audi or whomever that's just going to finally show that a traditional automaker knows how to build and sell a car better than Tesla. And it's going to put Tesla in its place, whether it's the Model S or the Model 3. What I would say to watch for, though, the real challenge for Tesla is what I call the Tesla market share nibblers. Once these companies get all of their EVs out, there's just going to be so much more competition that it's not a question of if you want a cool EV, there's Tesla and there's not really anything else. There's, do you want a minivan? Do you want a station wagon? Do you want a sedan? Do you want a sports car? Do you want an SUV? Do you want it at a certain price point? Do you want it in a certain body style? You just go all through the catalog there and they'll just be facing so much more challenges. And Tesla as a company hasn't matured to the point yet where it can handle a lot of things on its plate at once, um, if you will. They continue to struggle with bringing out new products, whether it's an update of an old vehicle, such as the Model S, or bring out a new vehicle like the Cybertruck, which is uh, supposed to come out later this year, but has some some signs that maybe that's going to be delayed. And that's a challenge. Those are the kinds of things that hurt companies. And just because Uh, A car company is on top now doesn't mean it always stays on top. If that was the case, then Tesla never would have got here, right? I mean, bashing metal uh, for a living is tough. And every quarter, every year is a knife fight for these automakers. And giants have been brought into their knees on many occasions. And that's the cold reality that Tesla lives in.
0: And looking at what's happening in China, do you feel that Tesla, uh, the honeymoon period has ended in China?
1: you, You bring up an interesting question. The first time they tried to really go in there, with the model S they failed miserably and they didn't have the infrastructure in place in particular when it came to charging they didn't have the sales team in place to understand you know, the chinese consumer and they also didn't have the kind of the price points they had this kind of arrogance being based in california yes tesla's early success was largely to do because of the California buyer, the California mindset. Yeah. In some ways, they created a category of luxury vehicle that I like to think of as like California luxury. That's tech forward, uh, uh, electric, certain design aesthetic, very big with uh, torque rather than and yes. miles per hour. And and these sorts of things, right? Well, the other thing about a lot of these early buyers, Tesla in California, was they were, you know, rich and oftentimes had multiple cars. And if the Model S was in the shop for a couple of weeks, well, they had another car to drive. And your viewer, your listeners, if they're familiar with high-end sports mm-hmm. cars, probably have some experience with maybe some reliability problems. So it wasn't mm-hmm. out of the ordinary for a Model S going for maybe one hundred twenty thousand U.S. dollars to. You don't want it to break down, but sometimes you do, and you're supporting not just Tesla as a brand, but also the idea of what the company is, and that's green technology, and also just to be in on the cool thing. Well, when it went to China, if you're buying 120000 it's going to be more in China because if you're going to be buying that, there was an expectation of having a luxury experience. And the luxury experience in China was different than what that California luxury experience was. So there was a cultural gap there that Tesla really had to overcome. That was a big problem for them early on, but they have worked to address a lot of those things in recent years, but you're still seeing some of that cultural divide as they expand in more into a mainstream automaker in China. Yes. Some of the issues they're having in China are not unique to China. They have in the U.S. complaints about the quality. It gets to this issue that the company is growing so fast. They haven't had the time and in the past, they haven't had the resources to fill in the company's infrastructure to handle that. It's one of the challenges that we think about the future uh, is that kind of managing the brand for mainstream. It has tripped up other car companies in the past. If you have a bad experience with a car uh, company, you maybe don't want to buy a second car. And that's one of the things people in the auto industry have said about Tesla for a long time is that's where they think they might be most vulnerable in years to come.
0: Well, that's fascinating. It seems obvious with hindsight that there would be cultural trip-ups by taking an American aesthetic or American business idea into China. But it's the first time anyone's ever explained articulately as well why they're struggling in China so much. Do you feel that they have been able to adjust both on the culture side, but also in terms of how they're working with the local government? Because they seem to have been some dust-ups recently.
1: Yeah, it's hard for me to say, to, without being on the ground to understand yeah. the politics of the situation, how much if, of Tesla's current issues is political, part of the geopolitical situation that large tech companies are Got having it. versus you know something that's happened with an individual government, right? But it's clear that after its initial kind of stumbles in China, that one of the things they had going for them actually was they put in place a team that was culturally astute. They had some key managers who were in China, who were empowered by Elon to do the business of Tesla. So they had a key person who was in the role of government affairs, who was politically connected, who helped use that power and also kind of the star power of Elon and Tesla to make the case, right? One of the other things that Elon did was one of his best friends from college was from Shanghai. And he hired him and put him in charge of managing the rollout in China. And this the executive rose up through the ranks um, to, to take over sales eventually. But so he had this he person who went back to early days with him, who understood how Elon fought and kind of where he'd come from things and had his trust, which is super important with Elon. The third person was hired over in China who had experience with large construction projects. And he was hired to, at first, build out the charging network. And then to kind of oversee the construction of their factory. And so those three people were pretty key in getting Tesla going in China and kind of this evolution into what they've become today. And you also see signs in recent years that the team there doesn't get the same kind of micromanaging that they get in fremont california mm-hmm. elon cannot hop in his jet at the time he was living in la if, if fly from la to the california factory in fremont and get on the assembly line and like start looking at things on yes. the assembly line as he was known to do you know it was much more difficult to go to china and you know not that he wasn't paying attention the the executive in charge of the factory construction in china would send pictures every day of, of things uh, that were going on the update elon and whatnot and, and but at a certain point, Elon can't, couldn't do everything. He had to trust the team and let them kind of get out of their way. That was one of the big breakthrough for the company at that point in time as well. It was, let's put something in that works in China rather than trying to do something overly complicated like uh, they did in California with the Model 3, which uh, made the early part of production really problematic.
0: Well, that's an interesting take on it because, you know, as you say, by being in China, Tesla almost had to create a management structure that could work without Elon being so involved, which is obviously where they want to be now with opening a factory in Germany, right? I think the thing that should be said, is, even though they've had some tr- struggles in China, they're still doing pretty well in China. Absolutely. It's not as if they've you know, t- completely lost the game there.
1: Yeah, another thing, here's another example of how they're a little bit different on a yeah, kind of a anecdotal basis. In the US, Elon, unhappy with media coverage, essentially got rid of his public relations team. Yes, that's so right. So he is the best spokesperson for the company. In a lot of ways, he probably is, right? But he's not. He doesn't have the kind of massive army of of communications. Yes, lawyers, that
0: and press, copywriters, yeah, and so on.
1: Right, that a General Motors or a Toyota might have. But in China, he you see much more press savvy operations. they done by one of their key executives who has contacts in the government. They have more of a team there that handles kind of traditional public relations because it's important. They're communicating to the government. They're communicating to their stakeholders and the supply community and in, in customers. And he has seemingly shown a willingness to, to allow that kind of important corporate function to, to happen over there in part because it's not like he can get on uh, Weibo and you know start sending out messages, right? He, yes. he,
0: <laughs> that's true. So, so basically, is it fair to say that they've kept a sort of a uniquely Tesla experience in China, but made it also authentically Chinese?
1: I don't feel like comfortable enough to say if it's a, if how authentic to China it sure. is, but they've definitely have adapted. They've adapted to that market in a way that is surprising, given how um, they've operated in other markets.
0: And would we expect to see the same thing in Germany?
1: I think it'll be harder in Germany. Um, Why is that? Well, Elon uh, can easily fly to Germany and he has been flying there. He's now essentially spending a lot of his time in South Texas where SpaceX has shooting rockets uh, into the sky. And he's flying to Austin, Texas, where he has a factory that's being constructed and has been flying on occasion to Germany. And you get the sense that he likes to go over to Europe on occasion. Not that he doesn't like to go to China, but it's just a longer trip.
0: That's very interesting. So what do you see happening with Tesla going forward? I mean, they haven't fixed their operational production issues yet. They don't have a template. They don't have the deep expertise. So that's gonna be a problem. What else do you see that could potentially trip them up beyond those competitors nibbling away? What could happen within Tesla?
1: Well, there's there's several challenges they have. I think we kind of alluded to the lack of a deep uh, management bench. Mm succession planning. Elon says he doesn't want to be CEO, but he clearly wants to be in charge. So how do you groom or how do you grow that team in a way that it's not crisis to crisis? That'll be a key thing. Um, This year and next year, this is really about execution. In 2018 and 19, they showed they could bring out the car and they could open a factory, but they haven't shown the ability to do it year in and year out, right? So yeah. the opening these two factories at the same time, bringing out some new product, these are going to be key things. The other thing is being able to keep the growth story alive. And that's that's a challenge because, you know, at the valuation that Tesla's at, that's yeah. essentially some people are kind of seeing that Tesla's going to not only be the dominant player in the future of cars, but it's going to be the only player. And that's yeah. just, it's hard to believe that'll be the case. So Tesla is a growth story stock and keeping that growth going could be much more challenging in the future for the company, uh, without a doubt, right? So you've got kind of those three kind of buckets of of challenges and being in the car business is also full of surprises, whether it's problem with a previous made car or uh, a competitor comes out with something new or regulatory issues that arise or geopolitical, you just never know um, how you're going to have to adapt.
0: In terms of the product, we've never really spoken about the product, but do you feel that Tesla is still considered to be sort of the best in class when it comes to electric cars or do you see threats to their product dominance?
1: You can see with competitors, them making inroads. Um, One of the things that Tesla really has one of the best experiences with is uh, when it comes to charging. Now, most customers, Charge at home if they have a garage and they charge at home and they drive to work back, and it's fine. But there is, especially in the US, the US consumer has this kind of idea that if they own a car, they might for some reason need to go on a road trip. Now, most maybe don't, but (laughs) they want that ability. And Tesla early on was scrappy and pretty smart. And Elon, what he did was he built some charging stations at first. Uh, on roads where wealthy people in California would be taking road trips. So if yeah. you were living in San Francisco in northern California, you would probably be going skiing in Lake Tahoe, a several hour drive. And so he made sure that there was charging stations there. And, and yeah. if you were living in Los Angeles, you were probably going to drive to Las Vegas at some point. And so there's charging stations along that way. And then charging stations between San Francisco and Los Angeles. And so kind of created this in a lot of ways marketing, but what it did was it relieved this concern among buyers that these cars would run out of juice and they would be out there having to find like an extension cord or something. But it (laughs) also created an ecosystem. So as they continue to invest in it, They continue to have this like increasing network of these uh, facilities to the point now where it's very easy if if you own a Tesla to go find one of these charging stations user interface in the car is intuitive, it's not Cumbersome, whereas other car companies don't have that same kind of ability. And yeah. I know I was an arrival, I was test driving arrival just a couple of years ago. It was on a road trip and I spent a lot of time trying to find a place to charge. And it actually became kind of an issue because it just wasn't easy. And it was kind of like at the end of the trip, I'm like, well, I don't really want to drive this yeah, car anymore yeah. because uh, it's such a pain. And people have those kinds of experiences with an electric car. They don't want to have an electric car. And so that's one of the challenges. If you're not a Tesla, car company trying to get into it, you've got to do that. And, you know, you see Volkswagen and other companies racing to help this infrastructure grow, but that's a huge advantage Tesla has when it comes to getting people into the idea of electric vehicles.
0: You make a very good point. When you think about the product, Tesla's advantage is not just the car, it's the infrastructure they've built to support that car.
1: Yeah, it's it's true. Another one of the advantages they had from being in Silicon Valley is a way to think about how cars operate. So they they hired a lot of tech people early on who helped develop the software in the vehicle. Their software capabilities are uh, unmatched in the industry, and this was a key thing early on in the company that saved it, likely saved them from an early demise in 2013 with the Model S is on the road. They start to have cars involved in incidences that are leading to car fires, which could spark a a lot of concern about an electric car. And what was happening was the vehicle, the sedan on on a roadway was driving over debris. The debris was then puncturing the battery pack, and that was creating that thermal runaway that we talked about, right? Well, as Tesla engineers looked at it, they realized that if they could just raise the car just slightly, it would decrease the probability of, of that debris impacting the battery pack, and it wouldn't be a problem. And so they had the ability with software to mm-hmm. connect with the car remotely, to send out an up, a software update, just like Apple does to an iPhone yeah. or Google does to Android, and make a change in how the vehicle uh, worked. And so they were able to raise the suspension just a slight amount, so that it would reduce that probability of uh, battery pack puncture. And that gave the company enough time to then also bring out a physical change to the battery pack to reinforce it. But in the meantime, it, it bought themselves a lot of time, and you didn't start to see a huge rash of crashes and yes. which could have been a huge public relation disaster and 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 really put the company under right at the beginning
0: and that's another example of an advantage they have. It's just the way they developed the maintenance side of the car, yeah, rather than having a expensive and potentially damaging recall, they've built a way to cost-effectively maintain their cars, at least push out potential damage, right? Because most car companies cannot do that.
1: Yeah, car companies are racing to develop this technology. Some of it is technical capability. We've seen large automakers struggle when it comes to software, but it also is a mindset change. It's not good or bad. This is just a difference. When Tesla brought the Model 3 out, for example, one of the early criticisms from one of the key critics that you know do these things was that they didn't like the braking of, of how the car braked and almost instantly Tesla adjusted it sent out an update yes, I and remember changed that. how the car would uh, handle for braking and that's the kind of thing a traditional car maker gives them a lot of pause because you know they spend a lot of time validating and testing yes. and going through why the braking is the way it is and to them to maybe a traditional automaker would be you know they wouldn't like that idea of having that ability so you've got this kind of different way yes. of, of putting cars on the road whereas a, a traditional car company is concerned about liability legal risk and not to say that tesla is not concerned about those things but they have a different risk tolerance than a traditional car company Tim,
0: thank you so much. That was a very fascinating discussion about Tesla, auto tech, and Elon Musk. I must say, you know, I've been reading your material for a very long time, but hopefully you're going to do a lot more podcasts and media pieces because you speak very well. You clearly know the company and the industry.
1: I appreciate you having me on. It was a delight.
0: Thank you so much. And I'm obviously getting a copy of your book. And for readers who want to read something quickly, you can get a copy of this. I think there's on the Wall Street Journal has published an excerpt from your book. Absolutely. And that's where I know I saw it. And I thought, wow, this is a pretty interesting piece, because everyone looked at what happens during production. And you looked at what happened after production during the delivery of the cars, which is a very interesting way to examine what was happening at Tesla.
1: Yeah, Read about it. Delivery hell.
0: Delivery hell. Thank you, Tim. Good luck.